Al Jazeera podcast. We're driving through the villages, the border villages in southern Lebanon. They're empty. People have left their homes, their livelihoods. Zaina Khadr covers Lebanon for Al Jazeera English, and she's been back and forth between Beirut and the Lebanon-Israel border for the last three weeks. We always listen to the Hezbollah-run uh, local, the radio station because they're the first to announce if the group launches an attack against an Israeli military position. Since fighters from Hamas launched an attack against Israel on October 7th, Lebanon's Hezbollah militia has regularly struck Israeli forces along those countries' border. Lebanon's militant group, Hezbollah, has been exchanging fire with Israeli soldiers along the border, raising concerns that violence could spread throughout the region. So far, more than 50 people have been killed, including a journalist from Reuters covering the events. Six other journalists, two of them from Al Jazeera Arabic, were injured in an attack by the Israeli military that Reporters Without Borders has said was intentional. They were struck while covering the escalating tensions near the southern Lebanese border with Israel. Reuters cameraman Issam Abdallah was killed, while Al Jazeera journalists Carmen Jochader and Eli Brachia were injured and taken to hospital. It's the most serious fighting between the two groups since the devastating war in 2006. So will the invasion of Gaza start a new war between Hezbollah and Israel? And what would that mean for Lebanon? I'm Natasha Del Toro, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm Zena Khadir. I'm a correspondent with Al Jazeera English. I've been with the channel since it launched in 2006. And where are we catching you today? I'm in Beirut at the moment. We just got back from the border. Um, we've been traveling to um, and from the border for the past uh, three weeks now, really, since the latest conflict between the Israeli military and Hezbollah began. Describe the situation at the border for us since October 7th. We know that under normal circumstances, there are occasional exchanges of fire between Hezbollah and Israel. But what's happened since that day? Well, this is the most serious escalation along that volatile border since the last war between the Israeli military and Hezbollah in 2006. But what we're witnessing is, yes, a serious escalation, but very much contained with the warring sides treading carefully. They've been trading fire almost daily for three weeks now. Initially, both sides had focused their attacks on military targets. But as Israel begun ground incursions into Gaza last weekend, Zaina says that tactics appear to be shifting. Now... We are seeing rockets that are being launched from southern Lebanon falling deeper inside Israel. Israel is targeting areas deeper inside Lebanon. And then you have an attack that was claimed by an ally of Hezbollah uh, targeting a settlement in Israel, in northern Israel. When we say settlement, what we mean is a population center. A residential building was hit. There were no casualties because the border towns and villages in Israel have been evacuated. But clearly this is a message 
And that message, Zaina says, comes in the form of changing targets. In the past, Hezbollah has focused its attacks on the Israeli military. Zaina also says the group has shown a new weapon in the battlefield, a ground-to-air missile that struck an Israeli drone over the weekend. Was Hezbollah slowly showing its cards, showing its military capabilities. But still, despite this new trajectory, if you like, uh, we are still very much far from a full-blown conflict. We are expected to hear from the Hezbollah Secretary General, Hassan Nasrallah, on Friday. He will be making his first televised public address since this conflict began. A report from Reuters on Tuesday also suggested that Hezbollah might be adjusting its tactics after taking heavy losses while mounting attacks against Israel. Will he be giving a clearer picture on how far Hezbollah is willing to go or get involved in this conflict? Um, maybe not, because this is a secretive organization. It doesn't reveal what it plans to do. It is part of its psychological warfare uh, with Israel. Uh, but maybe we will get a clearer picture of what to expect in the days and weeks to come, as, as many believe that this really could be a, a, a protracted conflict. And I understand that there have been people that have actually been killed in what's been happening on the border in, in Lebanon. Most of the casualties have been either Hezbollah fighters or uh, fighters belonging to Palestinian groups allied with Hezbollah and, of course, the Israeli military. Four civilians have died on the Lebanese side of the border, including a journalist. But this is a very much contained conflict, if you like. I mean, people are uh, nervous. There's uh, many people that have been displaced. If you could talk to me a little bit about the displacements and the evacuations. Well, yes, tens of thousands of people. They've left their homes. The the villages along the border, they're empty. Um, it, it, they're like ghost towns. You, you, you drive down this road and you feel like it is a war zone. Sadly, it is something that people in southern Lebanon are used to. We lived under Israeli occupation. We've been displaced in previous wars. Our homes have been destroyed. We really have nothing. Look where we are now. People's shops closed and it couldn't really come at a worse time for the people in this country because it's year four of, uh, of an economic collapse, a financial collapse, a state which is nearly bankrupt, people who have lost their savings in, in, in banks, um, unemployment at an all-time high. Many people, if they do not work every day, then they cannot put food on the table at night. Lebanese officials say the country is already in economic crisis, and if there is an all-out war, it would struggle to support displaced people. This is something Lebanese citizens are acutely aware of. We're worried about engaging in a war. The country is devastated and facing economic collapse. We're not ready for war, but it looks like we'll be affected by what's happening in Gaza. Lebanon must not go to war. We're not ready by any means. The economic situation is terrible. It's impossible to handle a war. It could be weeks before they return back and they, they cannot rely on the state for, for help because the state has very limited resources. 
I want to definitely dig deeper into what is happening, uh, the political and economic conditions in Lebanon right now. But for people that maybe aren't as familiar with the region, I mean, I imagine that a lot of people, at least in the West, have been learning a lot since October 7th. Why would Hezbollah, a militia in Lebanon, be fighting Israel in support of Palestinians? Um, What is its connection to Hamas? Well, Hamas is an ally of Hezbollah. These two groups are backed by Iran. They are part of the so-called axis of resistance against Israel. Hezbollah has positioned itself as a kind of deterrent, standing alongside an Iran-led, quote, axis of resistance in the way of Israel's much-anticipated ground invasion of the Gaza Strip. But it's unclear if this axis will ever take action. Really, Iran's broader strategy has been to create this multi-front threat to Israel, if you like, that Israel could face threats not just from its southern border, from Gaza, where Hamas is based, but the northern border, where Hezbollah is based, but also the Syrian border, where Iran has a number of armed groups allied with it, including Hezbollah. And this is what we've seen. This is the card that Iran and its allies have played. It has put this option on the table that if you escalate and if you continue um, the attacks against you know, Gaza, then you will face a multi-front threat. And it's not just against Israel because they blame, these groups blame the United States as unwavering support and unconditional support for Israel that gives it a green light to continue its attacks against Gaza. We've seen attacks against U.S. troops in Iraq. And that's why Hezbollah has, in one way or another, entered this conflict from the first day. Hamas made an appeal and said, you know, other groups need to fight alongside us against Israel. And Hezbollah heeded that call. As Zaina mentioned, the party's leader, Hassan Nasrallah, is expected to give a speech this Friday. Well, it's not an easy decision for Hezbollah uh, to make, to actually enter this conflict with its full military capabilities, because it has to take into account Israel's response. And Hezbollah is not a group that has, for example, military barracks. It has strongholds in, in, in this country. And like what happened in 2006, Israel targeted, for example, the southern suburbs of Beirut, a very densely populated area. More than half a million people live there. And these people are Hezbollah supporters. And in many ways, they were punished. And Israel accused Hezbollah of launching rockets, for example, in villages from southern Lebanon. Many villages were flattened in 2006. The war in Lebanon lasted 33 days. It's estimated that over 1,100 Lebanese died. On the Israeli side, 44 civilians and 121 soldiers died. So Hezbollah has to take this into account. No doubt it can fire thousands of rockets and target Israeli cities. But Israel can do the same thing as well. And unlike in 2006, this country is bankrupt who will pay for reconstruction they could face a backlash from their own from their own support base who too are suffering from this economic crisis so it's not an easy decision but hezbollah of course there are strategic considerations hezbollah has not said clearly when it will 
enter this conflict with its full military capabilities, except saying that Gaza will not fall. They have said that they're ready for any possibility and that they don't want to reveal what they plan to do next. But they have said that they would enter this conflict or escalate according to the needs on the ground in Gaza. That's as far as what they have said. After the break, we'll talk about some of those potential escalations and what a conflict would mean for Lebanon. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm speaking to Zaina Khodr, Al Jazeera's correspondent in Lebanon, who spent much of her time since October 7th covering the fighting between Hezbollah and Israel. The last time that Israel and Hezbollah fought a war was in 2006, and more than a thousand Lebanese were killed, and Israel failed in an attempt to reoccupy southern Lebanon. Maybe you could tell us uh, what's changed since then. Is Hezbollah a much stronger military force today? No doubt, um, Hezbollah's military capabilities um, are much stronger than it was in 2006. It's a missile arsenal, for example, much more advanced in precision as well, in scale, in range. Hezbollah Secretary General Hassan Nasrallah really boasts about the fact that he has uh, precision-guided long-range rockets that can hit all parts of Israel. Of course, we have enough precise missiles. These weapons are enough to confront the Israelis in any coming war. And he also claims to have 100,000 fighters. And a lot of those fighters are also trained in urban warfare because they took part in the war in neighboring Syria alongside the Syrian regime against the opposition. And he also says that this time around, we are not going to defend uh, our territory. We are going to be on the offensive. So this has been a concern that, you know, and, and we saw this in the past week or so, incursion attempts into Israel. Yes, they were launched or carried out by Palestinian groups allied to Hezbollah, but clearly there's a message there uh, to the Israelis. So you're talking about a much more um, sophisticated, stronger force, but we also have to remember Israel is an advanced army, I mean, with advanced weapons, air superiority, and it can hurt Hezbollah by targeting its support base. So yes, in many ways, there is this deterrent, if you like, uh, but each side really can hurt each other. And what do the Lebanese people think? I mean, do they support Hezbollah or are they fearful of more war? I mean, as you mentioned, Lebanon's going through a very difficult period internally. Well, this is a very polarized, divided society. It's been this way for decades. This is the story of Lebanon. But as of late and in recent years, um, Hezbollah has earned itself a lot of domestic enemies because at the beginning, when it fought um, 
Israel at the time when troops were occupying a strip of territory in southern Lebanon, that was before the year 2000. Many saw it as a resistance force that it was fighting to regain land. But ever since it, it, it started to engage in conflicts outside Lebanon's borders on behalf of Iran, it's, it started to be seen as a sectarian force that fights on behalf of Iran, takes orders from Iran, and doesn't take into consideration Lebanon's interests. Iran's Revolutionary Guards founded Hezbollah in 1982 in the middle of Lebanon's civil war. It was part of Iran's effort to export its Islamic revolution around the region and fight Israeli forces after their invasion of Lebanon. Iran gives Hezbollah weapons and money. The US estimates Iran has allocated it hundreds of millions of dollars annually. And many feel that Hezbollah should not be the group that decides whether or not this country should go to war or not. So it does have a lot of domestic enemies who also feel that its arms, its military wing, is not just to fight Israel. We have to remember this this country is technically in a state of war with Israel. There's no diplomatic relations between Lebanon and Israel. And the very fact that the majority of the population may not support Hezbollah, it doesn't mean that they don't support the Palestinian people and don't condemn the Israeli attacks against Gaza. So we have to differentiate this. And and yeah, so it takes that into consideration. And many feel that it has used its military wing to impose its own agenda and use it really against other groups in this country. Finally, Zaina, I wanted to ask you, I know this is a heavy question, but as a journalist who's been covering Lebanon and the region for many, many years, what has this all been like for you? I mean, I can only imagine how difficult the death of your friend, Isam Abdullah from Reuters, must have been. And of course, Al Jazeera journalists Carmen Dujadar and Ili Brakia were also injured in that attack. Well, no doubt it's not easy. It's not easy losing friends, colleagues. Isam Abdullah was a friend. We lost him. Senseless deaths. They posed no threat to the Israeli army. They were doing their jobs. They were wearing their safety gear, their their flak jackets, marked clearly marked press. Um, well, unfortunately, it's not the only it's not the only incident. Um, it's 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 difficult. It's difficult, and you know you always have this in in the back of your mind because as journalists, we should not be targets. We should be respected. We should be treated as, you know, neutral. And had you worked alongside Isam Abdullah for a while? Of course I, I knew Isam. Isam was, was, he was a great human being. It's hard, and it's hard to go visit your colleagues in hospital while they are recovering from serious wounds. And it's not just the wounds, that physical wounds. This is not something easy. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of um, ugly scenes in our lives. Um, but um, yeah, but this is our job. At the end of the day, this is our job. Zina, thank you so much for talking to us. And more than anything, as you know, as in the days to come, the weeks to come, please stay safe. Thank you. Thank you, Natasha. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by David Enders and Sonia Bagat with Amy Walters, Khaled Sultan, Sari Al-Khalili, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Faranisa Kampana, Zainab Badr, 
Chloe K. Lee, and me, Natasha Del Toro, in from Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexander Locke is the Takes executive producer. And Nate Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.